Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club, and I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Howdy, howdy. And, well folks, it's been an uneventful week here at Badger Falls, where the men are robust and women are pink-cheeked, and the children are pink-cheeked and robust. And as we wrote this here at the Apple Biscuit Cafe, where the smiles are free, studying the menu only to essentially order the same thing order every day. And it really put us in the correct mindset for tonight's film as we're going to be looking at the face of another from 1966. We're going to be looking over our highs and lows of with what you've been watching. Stephen, how has your week been? Have you enjoyed? I, well, I, I think maybe better than yours. That was a bit rando. <laughs> it's a very laid back. Uh, I thought it was very matching of, of tonight's film, which is very existential. It's it's another of those movie surprising picks because normally we assume that it's yourself who picks all the highbrow stuff, and then I bring like a lot of Japanese new wave. It seems as I'm the guy who brought Tokyo Drifters to the show, and now I bring Face of Another to the show, which is very much like Tokyo Drifter in the fact that we have a film here which has what would appear to be a traditional sort of horror setup, very much like Eyes Without a Face, only to then go to something a little more existential with. Um, the second half but we'll obviously talk about that um a bit on the later but uh what has been uh, holding your attention okay so been a busy week at work so i and i'm bit, always a bit shocked when when recording day comes around again but i did manage to watch something which is on netflix um so it's the it's let me let me let me it's right um do you remember the villainess Oh yeah, I know what you're going to say already because yeah. I watched the same thing. As good, you. good. Then we can have a little. We'll probably have a little chat about that. So, the Villainess was a film I really loved. I think you were less keen on, but I think we can both agree it had elements of style about it, like the sort of opening first-person shooter shot and the motorbike stunts and things like that. I, I, I know. I seem to remember that you felt it was a bit derivative of about 57 other movies but <laughs> yeah it was very similar to nikita but it was mm. very much it, more the way of like assassin or no way out i believe or no point to return was the mm. american one with uh bridget foster i want to oh, say bridget fonda I, Brid- uh, bridget fonda yeah, peter fonda's daughter yeah I think it was which also had harvey keitel in the role that was originally played by gene reno as the cleaner mm. and what i always loved about nikita is it was sort of like this spiritual prequel to leon because Leon obviously is a girl, is a cleaner who's got girl problems, so he tied in very. It's a real subtle like tie in between the two, mm. but yeah, I found the two were like the the villainess. It had so many moments where it was sort of like trying to do the Keita thing, where you know she's being trained to be this assassin at the same time. It's doing the John Wick thing, where it's like got these outlandish action pieces, and we obviously had that wonderful first person sequence mm. in there as well. So. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it, but 
the end of the day, what the, the director, um, Jung Byung Gil, is clearly being hyped up to be the new Korean action director because his second film, Carter, is on Netflix. Um, I got a bit. I, I, I was. It was one of those ones that said now in trending. I thought, what is that a Korean film? Because Carter doesn't sound like a very Korean name, does it? Um, and then a little bit looking up, and I saw it was by um, Jung Byung Gil. I thought, oh, the guy who did the villainess. I'll, I'll enjoy that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You can have too much of a good thing, can't you? It's two and a. The film it reminded me of, right, is Crank. <laughs> oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. I drew the same comparison. I was like, these people who've been waiting for Crank Free should really yeah. be happy because we essentially have Crank Free here. I, I mean, so so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's one of those films which is ostensibly a, a single shot movie, although it doesn't really try very hard to show the joints. No. Um, it's two and a half hours long, and it is balls to the wall action. All it is 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 action, and there's some fantastic bits, and there's some dreadful bits, and there's a plot. I'm not even sure what the plot was, mate. Maybe you got a better idea of it than I did. I can work out whose side who was on, and and what the point of at least one third of the detective pages. But fundamentally, there's an amnesiac guy. He wakes up in a bud of a blood of bed, blood of bed, a bed of blood. The CIA come in and. Apparently, it's we're in South Korea and there's been some kind of zombie outbreak and that's ruined America and North Korea. But South Korea's all right. But then there's some kid he's got to rescue and he doesn't know who he is. And there's a voice in his ear telling him what to do. And then eventually we get to some North Korean, um, uh, what's it called, rebellion thing goes on. And I don't really know at all. All I know is it's just action, action, action. And some of it's really, really good. Some of it's really, really janky, but at the end of the day, I was exhausted because there's nothing else to it. And I draw those allusions to the Crank films, which I really love. You could have exactly the same um, criticisms of them. It's like Crank as if Crank was um, Jason Bourne, isn't it? With the whole amnesiac stuff. But Crank at least has got a, um, Jason Statham, who's a fairly charismatic lead, and a huge chunk of humour all the way through it. This thing is po-faced. And some of the action, there's, the, there's that bit at the end where they're hanging off a helicopter. I played a few rounds of Mario Kart while that was going on. And it was still going on ten minutes later. It's just, oh, I don't know. Did you enjoy it? <laughs> to be honest, I really enjoyed the the first part of this. There's a really great moment where he jumps through a window and ends up in a gangster sort of uh uh trying to think of the word what bathhouse oh, like and in the, the same spa bar the, yeah like a yakuza yeah. spa bathhouse place yeah the, that's right and at the same time they're uh, also using it as a torture room and slaughterhouse so it's multifaceted and we have this really wonderful set scene where he's there battling all these guys and it would put it like right up there with, with like bathhouse fight scenes like the likes of uh, eastern promises with Viggo Mortensen's uh, knife fight that we see in the uh, the bathhouse there and as it went on it just became more and more sort of outlandish and when you have like characters who are unrealistically hanging on the sides of planes and no one's ever in any sort of real danger it does become as you said very sort of exhausting the fact that every sequence seems like the 
it seems like a video game setup rather than a film setup. Like there's a sequence where they're on a they're on a motorway and then suddenly you've got like cut back and we've got like the six bikers who are in like perfect formation as music sort of swells up. And there's just it just never lets up. It just constantly action, 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 action. But it's so detached the action is because we mm. have this guy who's never in any sort of fear. He can take on multiple guys. And there are moments where the choreography is absolutely beautiful to watch. But at the same time, it's got that same level of exhausting violence as the night comes for us. There's only so many times you can watch somebody get their face dragged along concrete or kicked out of a kicked out of a car door or it's knifed or had their neck broken before it becomes exhausting and the fact there's so little substance in between it's all very much like video game filler i mean it feels like you've you've, to me you've hit the nail on the head there it feels like watching someone play a video game but they've cut out when they were playing it and you're just seeing the cutscenes or the qtes you know it that, that, that that's what it feels like it just you're watching someone play one of those video games which is all flash and no game. You know, you just press 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 the triangle button at this moment. It's not like one of them. Um, but at the same time, you know, that, that scene in the bathhouse, he takes on a hundred naked people, but there is the weird naked zombie lady as well that's never really explained. Um, and there's a, some pretty cool stuff when he's in the transit van and it's open on both sides. It's pretty cool although it's so much computer generated i think that's why you don't feel there's a lot of risks to it the other problem it has is the fact that here we have a director who's determined to shoot have the whole film look as if it's been shot in one take and yes there are obviously no moments where you can see where the 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 two pieces joined together which is neither here nor there but the method that he's choosing to tackle this film with as i said it's two and a half hours of just one continuous shot which means that you have insane camera angles as it's switching from handheld to drone cameras to big like crane shots and there's moments where we're very engaged in it like there's a car chase where he's on a moped and you've got uh, another group of bad guys who are in a car they're chasing after him and it's a really involved car, sort of chase scene and you think well if they'd done that as it was and then we shot the rest of the film as normal and we interspersed these like flowing moments when we have we had the action scenes but instead it's sort of like we've got to constantly make it seem like we're just one continuous plot and unfortunately it just doesn't work you're not giving the film any time to breathe and the only time it seems to be breathing is to cram in this zombie plot line where he's got to rescue the daughter of this scientist who is apparently immune to this zombie virus that who, who i didn't everyone. i didn't even realize was a girl for most of the film no i thought that was a boy i did because they're saying you've got to go get hannah the daughter and then he rescued somebody and i thought well when's he going to rescue hannah and then i realized it was her it's <laughs> like oh dear that's that's shame on me that, that's how disengaged i was with the whole thing and the whole thing as well about him being from the north and i was like it's been more time than i probably should have just like thinking this sort of like is north korea making films again um so it was weird the fact he's supposed to be from the north and it's all like we're not told why the south is suddenly not desirable yeah um it was it's weird yeah because he's he's a south korean defector that has become a hero in the north and married a girl from the north and they've got a kid 
that, that as we find sorry spoilers everyone but honestly it's not going to ruin your enjoyment of it um and but at the same time he's also an ex-cia agent who was killed in syria and i may have missed the full explanation mate i have no idea i just there's the, the, the female cia agent apparently he was once very close to who gets killed on a bus that it's just nothing's really followed up and if it didn't have this conceit of it all existing in this two hour two and a half hour period cut out a couple of the action scenes it could have been a south you know a south korean jason bourne film right and it would have been great but instead it the conceit i think does it no favors and the fact it never really stops other than the occasional exposition dump to do anything but the other half of me saying two stars for the for the for the for the action sequences because some of them are spectacular and if you saw them in isolation you think wow that's going to be the best film ever so yeah i don't know i'm glad i'm i'm, I'm glad we have a similar opinion <laughs> it just uh, did, did very little for me in terms of like what it was trying to achieve and I know there's people out there who just absolutely really enjoyed this, but if we compare it to like RRR, which is another three-hour action romp, that at least bothered to break things up. It's not we have some insane action set pieces all the way through that movie, but it's giving itself room to breathe. We well, have, we, like, have, we, have uh, we have we have the romantic yeah, romance. Yeah, we, we have the bromance. Have a lot of broing out. Yeah, yeah, and the, I and... still can't get over the fact that those montages of them like riding through the countryside i know like, and then lifting each other up in like i mean constant... I, yeah I, I mean i'm not a huge fan huge fan of the three hour film never have been or the two and a half hour film to be honest with you but yeah rrr blew me away and i will watch that yeah. again carter i i can see myself going onto youtube and watching a clip of it in a couple of years time but i'm never going to watch it again and it's clearly <coughs> well, I think there's two reasons for it existing. Well, three reasons other than Netflix to make money. But I think they're expecting to make a franchise out of this. Certainly, when you see the ending, um, and <laughs> it's you did better than me if you can remember how this one ended. I think. Well, it ends on a cliffhanger. Or oh right! On a on a train blow train on a bridge blowing up. Oh, hanger. that's right. That was yeah. uh, that was a really <laughs> stupid ending, wasn't it? It made yeah. no sense. It's sort of like, why are we? Why? Why are we doing this for? Yeah. Well, I, I think I think it's to set up a sequel. But I also think this is like the um, the practice for Jung Bung Gil, the director. I think he's lined up to make a proper Hollywood film. So I suspect this was because a lot of this is in English, isn't it? So I just, I just think there's, there's, it's like here's your audition tape for Hollywood, or here's your first practice run. Something like that. So he, yeah, he's he's the next guy to make a to make a western film. It'd be interesting, but I don't. There's nothing in this. You know, he's clearly got a good handle on handheld cameras, on drones, on on CGI effects. And uh, and his fight against a hundred people in the bathhouse is a million times better than the hundred Mister whatever his name's in the Matrix second Matrix film when it was one. Oh, the um, Neo versus uh, one hundred Agent Smiths. That that's right, which looks incredibly janky. Um, now it does, yes. Yeah, but at the absolutely. time it was. Yeah, at the time it looked okay, but it look it now looks terrible. And so you know you and this film is taking loads of cues from 
you know, it's basically got the story from the Bourne supremacy. It's got, it's taking action scenes from, like I say, like from the Matrix. It's it's taking stuff from what went before in the Villainess. Um, it it really fancies itself as a Mission Impossible type film. Eventually, you know, when they're having fights on the way down from a jumping out of a plane. Oh yeah, yes. I mean that whole scene where they're doing the fight, the the free fall fight. Just watch shoot 'em up. Oh, well, there's another. That's the Clive Owen one, right? Yeah, yeah. If you want to see, if you basically, if you want to see this movie but done better, watch shoot 'em up. Shoot 'em up is is um, a film where Clive Owen is so obsessed with guns, he will have gunfights in every conceivable location, and at the same time, he has a whole thing going on with Paul Giamatti where it's like Bugs Bunny versus Elmer Fudd, but with guns. Yes, because he always has, always has his carrots, doesn't he? He always has a uh, carrot. Yeah, yeah. Now that's um, a fantastic. That's a, that's a hidden gem. That film, <laughs> I love that film. Yeah, watch watch that and the two Crank films, and that will probably be three times better than this film <laughs> it's just oh yeah that or um or as i said just watch the night comes for us if you if you really want this intense violence just go and watch uh night comes for us um but yeah i, 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 mean, I will give a but... shout out to the lead though so ju won't ju won oh wait, yeah the other film reminded me of of course a film we've done on the film the man from nowhere the one bin film okay uh, but yeah. you know the the, the the literally that scene where one jumps through the glass window and the camera follows him down they do that in this as well after <laughs> that's on his way to the uh to the to the flop house <laughs> the, the spa um but the actor you know he's has to spend quite a lot of the film quite a lot of the earlier film standing in his speedos um he's he's he utterly commits to it and if you know of him in his other things he's done up to now you'd never have even recognized him so they he's turned like a pretty boy k-drama guy into you know quite an intense action guy with no personality or anything whatsoever but it it's kind of like rain and ninja assassin then mm, yeah i think i think that's um that's a very good uh thing to compare it to um Although again, Ninja Assassin is more fun than this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's I don't I really didn't want to dump on it, but but it's unavoidable because it the just... fact is it's on Netflix. You can watch it. For, you're more than likely going to watch it because it's there. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone's talking about watching it, so yeah. chances are you've either had your opinion of the film confirmed by this discussion, or we've now riled you up to send us an angry email. One of the two paths you will be choosing shortly. So. And, and we'll take the angry emails. And we'll read them. Indeed. So anyway, that's all I've watched this week, and it's made me quite angry and out of breath. So have you seen anything else? <laughs> I am just going to have to know. I'm just now like, oh, I'm just all riled up here now, just like trying to think what else I've watched now. Because that was the thing. I broke up. Um... I broke it up over like the Sunday, and it was still an exhausting experience. A lot of people are watching Crank now. I see, as they should. Although I've got Crank on Blu-ray, I can't remember if it's Crank or Crank Two, and it'll only play on my Blu-ray player if I have a USB stick in there for some reason. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it's one of those weird ones, and so uh, I rarely, rarely rewatch it. But I, I, well, I enjoy. You know, I'm a big Jason Statham fan, so. Mm. 
But um, no, I mean, Carter was the only thing that I've managed to to watch this week. Uh, we had, did see the trailer for the anime adaptation of Chainsaw Man, which is going to be out on Crunchyroll in time for Halloween, which is very exciting. Uh, if you've not seen that, then uh, just go onto YouTube or go onto our Facebook page where we posted the trailer up, so you can check it out there. Um, you did also cost me £120 this week. What you? Oh, <laughs> yes, we did have... Um, we we some... got the Shorescope Volume 2 release confirmed, didn't we? We did, and this evening it went live pre-order on the Arrow website, and... Yes, you order for Amazon, and then you can uh, it as a drop in the meantime. Then but I've can... got some points at Arrow for buying. All right, previous ones. So yeah, but I... you have to like pay in advance through Arrow, don't you? That that's what, yeah. I, I did it on the old credit card. Um, ah, rather than uh, rather than my um, normal thing. But you know, I really love that Shorescope box set. I know, I know. You you'll get it all on the Arrow player anyway. But um, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so this set, this second set, is bigger <laughs> than um than the last one. So it's a, it's um yeah, it's going to RRP at one hundred and sixty nine ninety nine, but it's currently um one hundred and twenty on uh, yeah. On eight. You got to get in early with these things, don't yeah. you? So. so so I did that. Um, so you gave a list of films, but I'm on the Arrow website, and I was just wondering. So I so I just read them off. Well, I mean, I've got yeah. We're just going through the the list now. I mean, obviously, the standout of this set is going to be the the Chambers of Shaolin um, trilogy, which obviously is the first first six Chambers of Shaolin is the movie which is basically training montages. The whole movie is just one big training montage, and it gives Gordon Liu basically doing his his thing, um, and then he comes back in. Return to Phase Six Chamber of Shaolin, where he's playing a different character, but that's uh, one that we talked about on the show. As it features uh, some scaffold foo, as well as some bench foo in there, and it's really good. And then we've obviously got Disciples of Phase Six Chamber, where he plays the mentor character, and again, that's very, very overlooked. And one, those three films, I would say, are like the big standout of this set. Um, we also have The Kid with the Golden Arm, which a lot of people bag on, but I never understood the hate for. It's another one I reviewed for Eastern Kicks when they all came out on iTunes. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one that's, oh, I've seen that one. <laughs> I've got a couple of, yeah, I do have a couple of these films already, which is the only downside for me. Yeah. Is that I, I've got The Kid with the Golden Arm, and I've also got My Young Auntie. My Young Auntie, another phenomenal um phenomenal one there and this Fun, funnily enough a film i was thinking oh we could do that for the show and then it came out that it's on this so i'll wait to i'll wait to the um it's funny you say that because i was going to say the same with <laughs> Shaolin, so yeah so um yeah so like you say i think i think you're right i think the um i think the 36 chamber trilogy is probably the highlight um i'm guessing mad monkey kung fu and five super fighters are the mighty peking man um, uh, uh, I would you know, say Mercenaries from Hong Kong is more the is the mighty peaking man. Same yeah. as Boxer's Omen. Boxer's okay. Omens is a horror. Um, okay. One. Yeah. That's also again a two K restoration here, which I know a lot of people are really excited about. Mm. Ten Tigers of uh, Guangting is like 
the Destroyer Monsters of Shaw Brothers movies. There's a lot of uh, big players in the Shaw Brothers films that are in that one. Um, and then you've obviously got ones like Martial Arts of Shaolin, Barefoot Kid, Five Super Fighters, which uh, the guys over on Hong Kong Blu-rays, um, when they were doing their rundown of the set, that was the one they highlighted as uh, being like one of their favourites of the uh, set. And we've also got Invincible Shaolin, which is uh, another one that I haven't seen. But I mean, it's, there's no... I would not fault you for putting down money for this set. I mean, it's yes, it's going to be another set that won't fit on the shelf, but you have two of them. Well, yeah, well, we're, we're, we're getting to generate a shelf then, if <laughs> these two on it. I mean, it's got two more movies than the last one. You know, so in sheer... In sheer you know, feel the width of it. Um, it's got more. It's got another two, um, uh, another two discs, two CDs of music, which was quite nice in the other one. And you know, they're all, they're all. I think they're all two K restorations. Although it doesn't actually say that for some of them. So, mate, but that doesn't mean they weren't already restorations. No, I think that I think all of these are going to be uh, restored. I think there's certain ones where they've obviously got a, oh, a print, a decent that they one can, already. Uh, yeah. They can they can boost up to a two K. As I said, like Boxer's Omen, and I love the fact as well that they're including something from like Boxer's Omen because it's like it's that touching on the kung fu weird side of things. It's like giving us something like the Battle Wizard, for example, or. Um, there's another one which is just eluding me now, but I know it's a sequel to another Shaw Brothers movie, which um, I also can't remember the name of now. But I think Boxer's Omen is going to be one of those those titles on the set that I think a lot of people are going to be very excited for. Obviously, Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin is just such a landmark title; it's up there with like Five Deadly Venoms, um, and I think it's also because it's such a showcase for Gordon Low and what it brought to kung fu cinema the same way that when we look at uh, uh, Five Things of Death or King Boxer where you look at that film now and you see all the things like Miller's Earth, um, the channeling of Chi, all these things that are now so standard in kung fu movies that it was all like the first one to do and with 36 Chamber of Shaolin it was all like the first one to do all the sort of crazy training montages because it it's great I mean he goes in and there's like there's like 35 chambers of Shaolin and you can start at any level and he like thinks oh I'll just go and like start number 35 and gets his ass handed to him and then he goes all the way back to number one and he has to like learn all these skills and uh, you see him like crossing the log and ringing the bell with the big stick <laughs> so mm. uh, and then of course it like plays into into it later sort of like how all these skills like affect things and I mean, that's just basically Mr. Miyagi and Karate Kid. You do questionable t t uh, chores and then they like pay off because they're like building your reflexes or building strength or they serve some other purpose. But uh, yeah, don't be surprised if we look at uh, Face X Chamber Shell in a future episode of the show. Yeah, just, just double checking. So there's 14 films and um, nine of them are new restorations. Um, I can't remember what it was on the first one. One of them's a, the 36 Chamber of Shaolin's a 4K restoration, where the others are only 2K. But it's not just that. You, Do you know, know how small my TV is. It's not going to make a well, damn bit of difference. Yeah, as, as, as some, some quite famous YouTube video says, you don't, can't actually see in 4K. It's enough. Uh, <laughs> there's a point. Yeah, there is a a point where you it, it's not discernible by the human eye, but you know, it makes people happy. But there are also just 
chucked away. There's like um on one of the discs there's a French documentary about um which which um interviews Run Run Shaw and then there's an all access tour of the Shaw Brothers back lot back lot. There's um for some reason um the third episode of three called The Beauties of the Shaw Studios, um which is a, a three part um documentary uh, that's on the my young auntie so i'm guessing they're going to talk about um karahui um on it but i love that kind of you know remember on the um, erotic ghost story from 88 films that that, that tv show on there that i'm hoping for more of that kind of stuff um didn't I, one of them have like a jonathan ross documentary but only like half of it that's right so that was um i can't remember that was was that sure off the shore scope set or was it on the Gamera set? Um, no, I can't remember. But yes, it only because it, it it had the um, Troy Hark um, half an episode that he talks about Troy Hark, but they couldn't show the half which talked about Stuart Gordon. You know, the oh, guy the, um, reanimated set. Warriors. That's right. It was on the zoo. That's exactly right. But I love that kind of sort of you know fil- the films are great and. I'm not a huge fan of commentaries. I rarely listen to them, although obviously we did last time, didn't we? <laughs> Somehow we both listened to it. Um, it was like being a blind person going to an aquarium. <laughs> you just ended up with a list. Indeed. Um, and interviews and things like that. But I love these little sort of... Here's a, here's a TV show that was made in 1995, and it just it's just lovely. And they're also doing something with... Um, Again, they're just doing more and more. The 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 kid with the golden arm—is that what it's called? Um, oh my, confusing the films. Yeah, it's kid with the golden arm. Yeah, it's kid with the golden arm. There's a, there's a, there's some alternate takes and shots, and they're doing it all okay. for a branching thing, so you can watch it seamlessly without just having to watch the alternate shots. Yeah, just Arrow are really putting the heart and soul into this. So, so when is it released? Twenty first of November. So. Um, that's what I'll be doing for um, October. <laughs> if you um, want, if we want a good Instagram, which shows a lot of like behind the scenes footage from like uh, Shawbrows movies and that, uh, go on Foo. So that's F U for Fort. Um, if you go onto our Instagram, you can see that we follow them already, and uh, yeah, they post lots of like behind the scenes, like photos and footage and stuff. It's a really fun Instagram, uh, and they have a Twitter as well, so you can uh, go check them out as um, as well for, especially if you like that sort of like behind the scenes sort of footage of like like the uh, Venom Mob doing training montages and things. So yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I love that. So yeah, I'm really excited. Although, I've just... did you also buy like the Mothra vinyl as well recently? I have bought the Mothra vinyl. It's still in the. Um, it's it's somewhere between here and America still. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that turning up. Um, I've already told my daughter I've got to borrow her record player. I haven't told them yet. They're not getting Christmas presents because I've just put it all down on there. On <laughs> some more Shaw Brothers Blu-rays. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, but. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited because that last I think I I got to be honest with you I, before I really delved into it I was a bit confused by the last set. I didn't really know what they were doing, but of course what they are doing is highlighting certain directors and then a couple of bits on on the on the outside and I've really got into that box set. Um so I think I think early in the week you posted it's been announced and then uh, tonight I saw someone said I've pre-ordered it and I went right Arrow Films here I come because it wasn't there yesterday <laughs> and just 
<laughs> so uh, just before recording. So let's see what happens. I also ordered another film as well. Um, uh, but uh, I'll tell you about that when it arrives. Uh, on that note, it's time to fire the projector for tonight's feature presentation. The Face of Another. Okay, so tonight we're looking at the face of another. Uh, this was a film by Hiroshi Teshigahara. Shall I have a go? Hiroshi Teshigahara. It's an unusual, unusual name, isn't it? There's a, there's a, there seems to be an extra syllable that you're not expecting. <laughs> it is. Um, released in 1966, this is also part of the Criterion Collection, where it's spine number 395. Um, another criterion released for ourselves because we also looked at Pale Flower this year. Um, so we're slowly crossing off the Asian titles in the, the criterion catalogue. So. And yet another Japanese new wave film. We are. Branded to Kill, we've done, haven't we? Have we, we, we have. Yeah, I think we've done another one as well. So yeah, it's obviously a. a well, thing. I mean. Oh, yeah, Giants and Toys, of course, we did um, fairly recently as well, which is uh, also yeah. from the new wave period. And uh, Pale Flower. Yep. And we've also talked about uh, Inflatable Sex Door, The Wasteland. So, yep. The Japanese New Wave is it's a very interesting field, especially when you compare it to like, the French New Wave, which is kind of excruciating in the times. Um, there is certainly something about the Japanese New Wave uh, cinema where they've got a real sort of element of cool to them. Um, and with this one in particular, there was... Just something about the about this image of um, our main guy, uh, Mr. Okuyama, who's uh, suffered a, a, an accident, um, which has left him hideously burnt, and he now has to wear bandages completely covering his face. So he kind of looks like Dark Man, and at the same time, he's currently consulting with a surgeon called Doctor Hori, who. Is joins him on this um, sort of obsession over what a face is, what it means to someone's identity, and the pair devise a new technique that allows him to essentially be giving a new face through the use of a lifelike mask. Uh, with the first hour of the film following the pair as they set about creating this mask, and the second half of this, the film uh, following Oki. Yama as he attempts to re-seduce his wife and also explore this world where he essentially has been given a new personality just through being given a new face um, all the while Dr. Hori is sort of like further examining his own obsessions with what it what identity is and certainly what uh, makes us who we are 
So this is, uh, as I said already, this is a film which is going in some very interesting directions and certainly different than we would expect from this film, which I thought would probably be a more straightforward horror. It's one that we could obviously pair with the likes, the likes of Eyes Without a Face from 1959, which itself was part of that minor little B-movie subgenre, which also included the lot of B-movies of things like um, Atom Age Vampire, Circus of Horrors, The Awful Dr. Olaf, and Corruption. And at the same time, this would like lead into the 1960s sort of themes of playing around with identity and experimental processes to like take over someone's mind so things like the manchurian candidate and like the prisoner um so steven i'm very interested to see what you made of this one because as i said i thought i was giving you a very sort of straightforward movie and i've once again given you something a lot more thoughtful it's kind of like ghost in the shell all over again really isn't it yeah i mean what you've what you've what you think you've done is giving me an open goal to tap into saying thank you for picking a film that I would really like and write it up my alley, right? Um, unfortunately, I know I'm going to be in the minority of our audience. I really didn't enjoy this at all. Um, we've spoken off, off, um, off air before about your, and you kind of mentioned it then, about your dislike of the French New Wave. Yes, indeed. I felt this was a Japanese version of a French New Wave film. <laughs> Did you? Where there's a lot of monotone talking about what quite possibly is very interesting and very deep and very existential. But if I don't believe that your face really defines who you are, I'm not going to be on board with anything they're saying. <laughs> so there's 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 a lot of talking. I was bored rigid by huge swathes of this movie. But then there'll be these wonderful moments, especially in the um in the doctor's well I'd say his office, but it's more <laughs> like the Blue Peter um studio. <laughs> it's just this massive void with these wonderful sort of model sort of plastic cutouts of human beings with the was it the Janus lines and stuff of, of where musculature and circulation is and people would have discussions behind them and they'd be sort of superimposed on top of them so there's this wonderful designy thing going on and um even later on there was that I mean, skipping to the end but you know we just talked about carter there was a whole point uh, section in carter which really wasn't expounded upon where the the doctor that carter is rescuing and the daughter there's a whole bunch of protesters are all wearing their masks and they say why are they wearing our faces well of course at the end of this there's this moment where everybody in the street is wearing one of these masks and it's just coincidence i guess that these two films have come together into my life this week but you know that's a very, that's a really cool scene. There's there's bits of this which are cool, but there's bits of it like when they're sitting in the like they sit in the, um, the doctor and and um, what's his name Okuyama sort of sit in this jazz club just talking and smoking. <laughs> and it's a very weird club because they're in what appears to be a German a German Oktoberfest style <laughs> bar. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they've we got have Parisian music playing, which I messaged in the weekend. I was like. Why are they playing Parisian music in a German bar? Yeah, they they have big steins of beer, don't they? Again, this doesn't feel mm. very Japanese to me. So I'm I'm kind of mixed. I think fundamentally I just have this I don't really buy what this film is about, therefore I'm not engaging with it. But at the same time I can see these Yeah, it looks great. 
and there's these moments of wonderful style about it um but i was bored and i know i see you know i i I see that our you know friend of the show rushed me. He's like, oh, I'm so excited about you reviewing this. I'm, I'm, There's quite a few people, yeah. uh, actually, in the Facebook uh, that were really excited. I'm sorry. I'm and... really sorry. I thought this would be a tap-in. I thought this would be, thank you, Elwood, you've given me yet another film that I don't have to pick. And it was a fresh to me as well. I'd never even heard of it, mate. So um, the director I'm aware of, because he did Woman of the Dunes, which, again, is another sort of existential movie and that that one lot i think that might have gone to can stuff like that you know that's a that's a classic this is like the follow-up and the visuals you know you showed some pictures of a guy with a fully bandaged face and what mm. did you you reference dark man i'm thinking um Wally Griffin, you know, from the Invisible Man, that kind of thing. It's uh... yeah, that would probably be <laughs> that probably be a more highbrow <laughs> like recommendation. Yeah, I mean, we could obviously and, even like and we do could... the Japanese one we a- looked at. A- absolutely, it's a thing. And you talked about films which talk about. I mean, I love Eyes Without a Face. When you point us, first thing I said wasn't it last week when you said we were yeah. going to do it? Eyes Without a Face. It's got that kind of thing. And I love films, you know, more modern films which have similar stories. Things like Dead Ringers. The Cronenberg um, yeah. movie and the face that I live in—is that what it's called? The Pedro Almodovar film with oh the uh, the skin I live in. the skin I live in is got you know that that takes it to the, the, this these concepts and these things to to the nth degree as they say um, you know where where someone's face literally does change who they are <laughs> the guy's a plastic surgeon so there's a whole sub genre of cinema that this film is part of and i think it, it feels like it's the sort of film that lots of those later filmmakers have seen and been inspired by it's not a criterion released by accident right it's just me i don't like it <laughs> i was bored however that's me let's talk about the movie now now we know where we are with it well, I think the the film itself it splits itself into two very different movies. The first half, as I said, the first hour of this movie is just about him getting his his face, and in that we never see we only get like a briefest glimpse of what he looks like without his bandages on, and there's a lot of talk of like how he came to be burned in this industrial accident accident, and we also see the fact that he is trying to have a normal relationship with his wife who is doing her best to uphold their marriage although at the same time she's struggling to deal with the fact that her husband's now like got this bandaged face so she's the intimacy has been lost in their relationship and he's and he's, very much suffering from it and he's become a dickhead right there's no getting around it but we never really know what he was like before but i guess the the assumption is that they got on before. It's, it's a horrible thing that's happened to him. But it's really, really affected him. And he's a dickhead without the new face. And he's a bigger dickhead with the new face. <laughs> so no wonder she doesn't want it to do with him. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I didn't like him at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's so we... <laughs> yeah. I've thrown you, haven't I? <laughs> I didn't say it. It's... it's... On one hand, I mean, as you were saying a lot about the fact that you got a lot of monotone speaking, but at the same time, you see how this doctor is faced with like going against what he knows he shouldn't be doing, but at the same time, his own sort of obsession of pushing himself to like, can he create 
someone he can he create a, um, a face for this this guy and the, it so could easily have like stumbled into like B movie fodder and I mean I'm not going to lie here I mean the reason I was so interested in this film is just that whole visual of him with the bandaged face and mm. the the I... clip I saw was where they were like um, questioning the the guy who they eventually used as a mold for his face over like oh we want to use your face and they had this real ominous tone to it and I was like oh he's going to be like some sort of like uh villainous character but no he's just an average working show who's uh involved with this doctor and the pair are gonna create a mask see, see this i think this talks to the root of my problems with the film i don't understand what the big controversy is well why wouldn't you why wouldn't i'm making a mask for someone whose face is horribly disfigured why would that be a bad thing um, and, and as we never really see this fellow again, so it's not as if he's become this other guy. It's not as if the other guy was actually a serial killer. I don't think so. It's actually a serial killer, and by taking on his face, he's become a wanker. It's just... It's just, it's just a dickhead who becomes a bigger dickhead. And I don't understand this, this fundamental um, transgression that they're making by giving him a mask. He does stupid things with it, like creates a second life and tries to seduce his wife and without her knowing, although she does. And, uh, well, we had that wonderful scene where we see the shot of him buying, oh, buying um, the house. a secret apartment yeah. twice. And it's shot, so, it's shot so it mirrors itself, which is a bit jarring if you haven't been paying attention to the movie because you think, have I just like skipped back? Because you see him like go to purchase the room when he's in bandage form and then he goes back later when he has his mask and he has the same interactions with the same characters the landlord is still getting out the bath his daughter is still going messing around with a yo-yo and going into the lift um which is kind of uh funny it's just sort of like further reflects this split pers- this split lives that mm. he's creating for himself and and interestingly that daughter should the is daughter the one who's a bit weird and she recognises him in both scenarios. And so, again, I don't really know what it's saying. Is it, is it that most people wouldn't, would, would see him as a different person, but this young girl, which Wikipedia calls mentally retarded, which is a horrible phrase. <laughs> I don't know why they've got that in there, but why is she able to see through the veneer of this mask? And I, I just don't know what questions it's asking. Cause I just don't get it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, the girl herself, I mean, she's played by um, Etiko Ichihara, who would uh, go on to win the Japanese Academy Prize for Black Rain. Gotcha. Um, as well as appearing in some hundred odd movies. I mean, she... and, and doesn't look like a young girl. She looks like she's 30. That was the other thing that bugged me. I, I, was, I was very <laughs> charmed by her character. Yeah, um, no, she's. She, don't get me wrong. There are people in this film. I think the wife is interesting. I think that girl is interesting. Um,. I think there's the core of a really interesting movie here. I just don't understand it. I'm too sick to understand it. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say, <laughs> say that. I mean, there's a lot of films. I'm, I'm handing in my professorship, mate. Well, uh, that's, 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 it just seems to me it's funny the fact that I brought this is like as I said, there's, there's two movies like this because yeah. I brought obviously brought uh, Tokyo Drifter, which yeah. is kind of like this. Um, it's kind of like a surreal Yakuza flick, isn't it? Uh, with the wandering, uh, the wandering hitman. 
and uh, I've, again, you didn't particularly vibe with that one. Either. It is, it is funny, isn't it? That that you know the 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 elevator pitch for this show is that you like the cult movies and I like the highbrow movies. Yeah, and, yeah, and actually, you've bought two of the most highbrow movies to the show, and I, I've not joined. It's, it's not. Yeah, that's not. You know, I appreciate the art, right? And the fact that we can talk about it means there's something about it. But I just didn't jive with either of their implementations, and I think that's yeah. That there, there, there could be reasons for that. But it's clearly a good film. It's just not one for me. And it's a shame because every other film you've mentioned that's in this kind of genre, I fucking love. So it's it's even a subgenre that I'm kind of keen you know that that concept of what makes you you that's really interesting but i'm just not sure wearing a mask well we had the similar sort of thing of like what what is a soul in ghost in the shell where we have the major like questioning over like what makes somebody human and in that one it was sort of like the presence of a soul or the ghost in the case of the cyborg and with this one it's sort of like the it's just really sort of like playing around with the ideas of like the how your face is really hangs so much on your identity and it brings it makes analogies to things like executioner's mass and hijabs and why women wear makeup um and yeah that's the best line of the film is is there's a bit where is it the wife talks about that she wears makeup? Is that this film? It is this film, isn't it? Yeah, it is yeah. this film. Yeah, that was interesting. I could, I could get with that. I think it's just, actually. Do you know what I think my problem was? I think it's just when the the doctor, the psychiatrist, and our main guy are talking. Is I just completely switch off when they're talking to anybody else. I'm quite engaged. So <laughs> just I don't know. Maybe I I not don't go to enough Japanese Parisian theme bars with big steins of lager. That that's probably what it is. I love to as well when they're they're creating the mask and they're giving him these questionable face facial hairs and ones are very close to Rolf Harris. Do you know there there is a bit of me that thinks because he's got this kind of well actually it's not too dissimilar to my current facial hair where I've only got the beard not the moustache and I do need to shave now because you've just reminded me who it looks like. <laughs> he does look like it's worse when you watch like the pilot episode of Land of the Giants and there's a guy who's the spit image yeah. of Rolf Harris. <laughs> yeah, it's not you know. That it it it's that kind of sixties hipster turtleneck wearing beard. Oh yeah, it's the yeah. bongo rasas sort of yeah. Uh, neck and look, I real, I've realised I've got it. So maybe that's why it's bothering me. Maybe I was seeing myself in the film. You were just like looking <laughs> in the mirror and it's sort of like, why is this bothering me? <laughs> it, 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 yeah, that that's exactly what it is. It's only it's only because the moustache gets my food gets caught in it, and I was too lazy to shave the rest of the beard off. Um, but <laughs> some of my barber just sits and eats out of his beard. Oh, don't. Um, like David Bellamy. Oh, Strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's some deep dives of British culture we've put in there. There's, there's a, obviously, there's another thing to this film. Um, you, you haven't mentioned it, but you, you talked about there's like that, you know, the, the, there's two halves to this story, but there's a third story interleaved into this film. That's right. Um, about a young girl, pretty girl, who's got a big scar on her face and it's a very tragic story and you know she she basically we see bits of her story where you know she's being i don't know that she, uh what's the word she's um people are being mean to her 
<laughs> oh gee, yeah. she basically yeah she's got she covers up her the disfigurement she has on the right side of her cheek which we're led to believe is um a result of um the yeah bombing of a city and we yeah, see yeah because she, she, she mentioned she's from nagasaki so i guess that's what um we're and we have the scene where she's sort of like walking down the street and she gets wolf whistled and then her hair flips up and shows her scar and yeah i mean this is in the original novel from looking at wikipedia here it's she appears in a movie that the that um he watches at the cinema and then recounts but in this film it's sort of like a, a separate thread of just how someone else is choosing to deal with their disfigurement um see which does lead to some weird moments with her brother yeah she... i didn't even realize it was her brother to start with I, I, I mean, I assumed it wasn't, and then the, the text <laughs> makes it clear. It wasn't. Well, yeah, they're very close. But, but yeah, she works at um, a psychiatric ward for shell shocked World War Two veterans, um, which is, again is a really interesting sequence, and it's a shame that they just don't do more with her character rather than the last hour of this film, which is sort of spent with him trying to seduce his own wife and then going on a sort of psychotic slant before basically saying saying that you know this mask gives me the freedom to do what i want i'm someone who essentially does not exist mm. and i think this it's sort of like just when it's getting so interesting that the film ends it's all like it it, oh, it, end, it ends on well it sort of ends twice so so we have the 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 story of the, the the sort of that secondary story or tertiary story even of the of the of the girl ends in a very tragic way and then and then as you say uh Okuyama just utterly deteriorates and it ends in, in both a surreal way with all those people with the masks and a bloody ending and then that's it, it just ends but then there's a lot of films like this that just end like that isn't it <laughs> it's just, it feels like a sixth form of script oh I couldn't think how to end it but I think there's more to it than that um, yeah, I've got to be honest with you I preferred the other story and I'd, I'd have quite happily watched it, <laughs> the full-length film about her story, especially if it would explain what was going on with the brother a bit more. But, um, you know, because then you can think about, yeah, so these are people that have been hurt by the horrors of war, and, you know, there's, there's, there's something there maybe I can feel a bit more of a connection to. Not, I was always a psychopath, and now I've got a mask, I can be a psychopath. Well, he, when he initially is, like, start seeing the doctor he talks about his plans to disfigure his wife and then his plans to blind the world mm. so that they wouldn't be able to react to his deformity so he's initially introducing he's very sort of self-loathing and he blames a lot of people despite the fact that he blames he says openly he doesn't blame anyone for his accident but now he blames people for their reaction to what he's been left looking like and you know, that's not good. We only get a brief glimpse of what his face looks like, but he's had, is it liquid nitrogen or something in his face? I mean, yeah, liquid oxygen, I think, is what they said. Right, there was a yeah. mix-up um, with uh, with what they were, were doing, and he and it essentially says that he got sprayed in the face with uh, a chemical which has left him like horribly burned. Um, but, yeah, he, he now just gets to wander around in the... Um, in these bandages and looking like the invisible man. Hmm. But you know, I, there's, there's some. He yeah, some sympathy. He's, he's not. He's, there's um. 
you, I'm just going to go to Marvel Comics, bizarrely, right? But there is the because um, this reminds me of it. So you know the character Doctor Doom from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. So the, the conceit of of many of the retellings of the origin of Doctor Doom is that either the mask he wear hides a horrible disfigurement or that putting the mask on created the disfigurement. But John Byrne back in the 90s did a version where it turned out that actually he's got a tiny little fucking scar and it's, he's just so vain that he can't see that no one really notices it. But the, the whole thing about Doctor Doom is that he hides his face and there's this huge disfigurement and that kind of maybe leads to his... Should we call it megalomania or whatever it is that that Doom has got? I did for this guy. I found a lot of similar similarities between Victor Von Doom and um, Okuyama. Although this probably sixty six. It's probably contemporaneous with that that original storyline. So uh, must be a thing that was going on. Do you think that the fact that Okuyama looks so similar to, obviously, the very classic look for the Invisible Man is a representation of how isolated he feels now from society? He is essentially the Invisible Man. Oh, Nobody really I think, pays attention to him. I think that's absolutely what it is. The, 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 that visual is, you know, that is literally taken from the old um, Universal... Is it the Universal film, the original yeah. Invisible Man? Um yeah, and I think I think that's absolutely an, uh, a very good reading of why he looks like he does. Why he ends up looking like a hipster beatnik, can't tell you. <laughs> well, it's unclear why they chose that particular guy's face of, out of uh, all the faces they have. I mean, they even keep the mole. Yeah. Yeah, but then obviously Asian culture has a, has a kind of a connection with 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 moles and hair and stuff, doesn't it? That we don't really have in the West. You know, you you you've seen all those Hong Kong movies with guys with great big sprouts of hair. Well, Zoo Warriors, didn't it? Didn't that have um, <laughs> one of the like old eyebrows boy? I think had big mole with hair coming out of it or something as well. So oh yeah, we had um, the the guy with the long eyebrows because mm. uh, long eyebrows is a, a representation of wisdom in. Kung Fu yeah, cinema. and and our yeah, one of our favorite actors, Lam Suet, yeah, Suet Lam, however we say it, you know, he's got quite often his characters. Not only he has a big mole, but he usually big sprouts of hair coming out of it. It's 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 a thing. It means something, and just just weird, not the same. But yes, but he, he looks kind of cool in his turtleneck and his geography teacher jacket, and you know, quite quite a lot of it. I'm, I'm see a lot of myself in Okayama. That that's kind of my vibe. <laughs> so, Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But yes, to your point, yes, you're absolutely right. The Invisible Man illusion is absolutely where they're going for. Must be. Any other insights? I just uh, think I remember coming across this movie in uh, the Directory of World Cinema Japan, uh, Volume 1. I remember seeing this film in there and just instantly again it's that picture of him um against the glass screen which obviously got all the lines for the ligature and it's next to the leonardo um atomical man is it uh universal man whatever it is yeah the very famous um used to be the uh used to be the opening thing of world in action if you remember that <laughs> ITV documentary series. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, it's a famous image. I think it's on the um, Voyager um, 
or version of it. No, it's not Voyager, slightly different. But yeah, where the where the man is represent a naked man represented in a circle with uh, different positions of arms and stuff. But yes, there's a lot that that's but that bit's so cool. That bit's so well oh, done. Oh yeah, definitely so. I think the the best bits of the film are certainly in the first hour of this movie. Mm. I think that the second hour really sort of drags on because it becomes more sort of musing and it starts off interesting enough him obviously adjusting to this new face the fact that he can't feel the wind he has to like learn all these sort of skills to to get the master sort of set um those sort of moments are interesting and it's just when it becomes about him essentially stalking his wife uh for no real purpose because she sees right through it um, mm. That it, it it kind of lost its uh, its focus in that second hour, but I think certainly in the first hour, while you obviously were were bored, I was sort of very engaged in this this one. So, and I do wonder, uh, and we're going to keep going on about this, but we're in another fucking heat wave. <laughs> I, I do wonder if just the heat has stopped me enjoying these things because that's it's not very often I hate two things in a week. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just, I just had a hard time connecting with it. That's, I'm, I'm, I can't lie. Uh, so yeah, that's obviously facing another. Uh, it is available through the Criterion Collection, so you can add it to your closet. Uh, that's the other thing I keep. I forgot to ask you at the start of the show, Stephen. I mean, I've obviously been seeing a lot of people now. They're building their Criterion closets and. Back uh, when I was obviously collecting, it used to all be about the bookcase aesthetic. And uh, if you were really nerdy, you wanted to build your own video store, which you see a lot of kids with like basements doing. But mm. For myself, I'm sort of find myself graduating more towards the idea of the closet. I love the uh, the visual aesthetic of it. And as I was saying to Rashmir, that I could put a leather chair in there and hide away from the kids. Surrounded by my precious, <laughs> you're the, the beautiful you're the, things. You're the, you're the Criterion Golem, are you? Right, yeah. Well, it doesn't even have to be Criterion. It'd just be like my boutique uh, ones. You know the the DVDs where they put some effort into the covers rather than like phoning it in. Mm. You know, just to be surrounded. I mean, here in where I record, I mean, recording on like two sides by my bookcases. So I've got like my film books to my left and stuff, and I love being surrounded by uh, the book so the idea of having the closet the closet like you see people building like the criterion closet and stuff I really like and it also avoids the problem of uh, sun bleaching of uh, your, mm. your spines so I don't know what do you uh, sort of lean do you have a preferred well, aesthetic well what I know what I'd like to have that does appeal I, I'd like to have is one room for my comic books one room for my DVDs and Blu-rays or closet as you say and uh, one room for my retro computers, all on beautiful display. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like them. I'd like my DVDs and Blu-rays to be ordered in some way. Um, you don't have an order to your collection. Well, what happens is about once every three years, I redo it all. Okay. And I'll order them. Well, if if Maisie, my youngest daughter, comes around, she'll do it alphabetically for me. But obviously, that's not always so easy because lots. I've got lots of Blu-rays and DVDs, and as you can imagine, lots of them are from Korea and China and Hong Kong, and and there's no English on the covers at all. 
So that's quite hard for one. And then what I do sometimes is I order them by Blu-rays and DVDs or by country. Yeah. Or because I've got more than I've got display space, the next time I'll do it, I'll just do it by movies I like and want to rewatch and hide away all the others in my big IKEA Kallax thing behind me, which is where loads of things are piled into. Um, so yeah, I've got all my, oh, and then I've got my big pile of Barbie movies, which are on display, <laughs> which always generate a conversation. <laughs> but when I'm any, sure when anyone comes round, it, 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 but yeah, I, I've seen. I've, there's um, I can't remember what his surname is. A YouTuber, his first name is Daisuke, and he loves the old Criterion Collection stuff, and he does sort of quite long video essays on them, or video lectures more than essays. Um, but every every you know every time there's a new one he talks about them all and he's got them all you know and, and i think he's also got a decent amount of vinyl on another wall vinyl's another thing i don't have much vinyl anymore but i used to but yeah you know there's something very satisfying about going to someone who's really got a lot a big a nice collection against a wall or on a shelf or something i think i'd like a three-story museum that'll be, <laughs> that'll be about what it is but i would like it to not look like I just chuck everything I get once I've watched it onto a pile and then three years later have to tidy it all up. I always go by genre, Mm. then director, and then chronological order. And this goes with books as well. It's always good to be like the chronological order of the authors. I don't do alphabetical. I always uh, go chronological after genre and then director before that. So, Yeah, I think... I think I probably do. A, I, I just it just depends on my mood at the time, and I'll always regret it. Um, like I say, maybe I'll do it alphabetical, but that's actually useless to me because do you count the? <laughs> and, no, you yeah. got to go for the first letter. But then again, do you put your bonds under B? Mm, and yeah, all my bonds actually are together. Looking at it, but then I. This go- is the thing with the, when it comes to Bond movies, you want them all together mm. rather than like scattered here there and everywhere you want it all as one thing and this is this is actually brought up on the video archives podcast they were sort of like when they were having the store most like mom and pop shops would have bond as the <laughs> as the category um mm. and it would um that so you would find them under b yeah i can i can dig that but you know, now everything's been we're now being forced into going digital now that we've got a number of films that are missing physical releases here in the UK, especially such as like Everything Everywhere at Once is uh, only a digital underwater, the Kid Detective, uh French Dispatch, all missing physical uh, releases, so we're getting pushed into that digital realm and as David Brooke was pointed out to me earlier in the week, it's like the fact is on a digital format means that they can bugger around with it. Um, it's not like in a physical form where you can't mess around with it. Yes, and I've also seen um, this week some some. I mean, nothing that particularly bothers me, but I see that HBO Max have taken some digital some of their releases that were digital only off their platform for whatever reason, and so there are now films that don't exist and then obviously I was going crazy and saying oh look all these films on Netflix will disappear one day which isn't necessarily quite what will happen but it might do I love I love physical I've got to be honest with you 
Yeah, I mean, physical is is uh, nice to have, and I think certainly when it comes to the Criterion Collection, there are some really nice covers in there. I mean, certainly their copy of Videodrome has got the best cover. Same with Repo Man has got a great cover. And then I see other ones where they just seem to be not really trying. So it's a little frustrating um, when you see like a, a Criterion cover with just a really boring cover. Yeah, I've got a few Criterions, probably from my early days of collecting. Um you know when it was exciting to import stuff from America. Um, <laughs> Before we started having to pay import tax. Well, pretty much like when we used to have Play dot com and things like that. Companies based in Jersey that you could just get it in. Um, I've got yeah, I haven't got them. I've got like Solaris. That that which is as I've had that for as long as that's existed, and I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. That that when we do Russian movie film club. Um, maybe I'll get well, around this to that. Is, yeah, that was our, our great, uh, great plan for for April Fools, wasn't it? We were going to do the Russian film club. Yeah, and then Russia invaded the Ukraine, and it seemed less funny. <laughs> so. um, but I don't have. Yeah, just think about. It. I don't have a lot. What I do have, obviously, is quite a lot of things which are clearly the Criterion release. Things like the Burmese harp. I've got. Um, is clearly the Criterion edition just wrapped up in a Eureka or Masters of Cinema label, but yeah, but, but it doesn't. Ha- Obviously, I've got the Godzilla set, so you know, I've got the greatest set of all. But I don't <laughs> one set to rule them all. I just don't think. Um, maybe I've got um the Royal Tenenbaums. That might be a Criterion. Yeah, a cover again. Another really phoned in cover because mm. the Wes Anderson ones are those awful hand-drawn covers mm. which I just do nothing for me compared to the original Wes Anderson covers which have got a real sort of whimsiness to them but um, yeah there is something about having like a there's certain labels that when you line them up like if you're doing like your Tartan or your Arrow or your Shameless especially Shameless with the yellow sleeves you have a lovely block of yellow there for your real slimy scumbag movies. Yeah, the other problem I have is, obviously, if it's a director I followed for a long time, you know, I started off on DVDs and then went to Blu-rays, and for some reason Blu-rays are like a centimetre shorter. I think, I don't know about you, I haven't got any UHDs, but they're black, so they look all different, and so there's a... Yeah, things just look naff on my shelf if I organise them the wrong way. <laughs> but then, but then Godzilla and Gamera and and the Shore Scope collections have screwed it up. I've got loads of like I, I quite like um I collect like um quite a lot of old BBC TV shows and also stand up comedy shows and they never match and there's yeah, no, you there's know no you can do those just file them in the bin. I kind of like them. I kind of like, I go through my little phases. Of the BBC. Uh, it's not just the BBC. I'm I'm watching I'm, I'm rewatching Cracker at the moment. Oh, Cracker is a that's a show that should never have come off the air. I um, you know, I I vaguely remember it from when it was coming on. But so yeah, but you can get these them so cheap, like off Amazon or off eBay. Like I paid a pound and I've got every single Cracker episode and I'll watch it, but it'll never fit on the shelf. And I suspect what will happen is that the charity shop will get a... You know, it's not worth me trying to sell it. It costs so little, but really enjoyable. But again, nostalgia, mate. 
What you want to do is something I did when I started emptying all my DVDs now, and I get CD wallets, and all the ones with the really sort of generic covers, mm. if it's the, well, all the non-boutique ones, I just got them. I just keep the discs in a CD wallet and throw out the cases. And it's, first of all, it seemed wasteful, and then when you end up with like a CD wallet of like some 300 films, and you've realised the space it saves you on the shelf, uh, for stuff that you don't really care about having the cover for, like Transformers or Star Wars or something like that. Yeah, I, something that you should, yeah, with I, no resale value. I mean, I do. I have done the old Music Magpie twice, and yeah, and I think you know you don't make any money. Nothing, nothing's worth anything, right? Uh, but it gets no, out of the house. It's, it's book, isn't it? You've got to do it. But by. even but even if you think, oh, I've got rid of a hundred DVDs, which is a terribly first world problem, right? And and you get like fifteen pounds seventy for it, and it hasn't made a fucking dent. <laughs> it's just frightening, and maybe it's not a hundred, but and, and and then so many of what I got, they say, oh, we don't recognise that because I, I really did go all in on things like um that like Play dot com and the like. So I've got loads of Region Three versions of American films because they were just so much cheaper, like. I've got Region 3 versions of Constant Gardener. Like, why have I got that? <laughs> Just, why have I got it in any version? It's not a film I'm ever going to rewatch. It's the sort of film that you just watch on Sky Movies or something once, and that'll be the end of it. But no. So I can't even sell it, mate, because it's Region 3. Just jump in the Jared shop. They're not going to know. No, no, I, I, I will. I will. There will, be, there will be a great reckoning amongst all my things I collect where... I'm just going to be nice. Some charity shop somewhere. I'm also building up a pile for you, as you know, of things I'm going to send you. I've got, a, I've got a few things down here. So I'm going to send them over to you with some Marwam. <laughs> oh yeah, well that'll bonus. Who doesn't you, like a Marwam in a silver pot? Everybody loves That's a Marwam. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. So that rambled. That rambled. <laughs> but no. Um, let us know in the uh, comment section, or just uh, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, whatever is your preferred social media platform, come say hi to us, follow us, and let us know your preferred method of storage. Where do you aim for? Are you the bookcase or are you a closet person? Uh, let us know and uh, join in the discussion on this one. And uh, also, if you haven't already, please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to listen to us. Leave us a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. And if that wasn't enough, you can also check out our blog, which has got a whole archive of back episodes including our battle royale chapter by chapter breakdown the anthony wong month the takashi Mike month we got the film vault with david brooke we've just got a host of great stuff on there as well as all our previous episodes and specials and you can check that at asiansimmerfilmclub.wordpress.com but Stephen, where are we going to next well do you know what we haven't looked at for a while something that was released on tartan asia extreme <laughs> <laughs> I can probably date this many years ago. Must have been in the early two thousands. I was in um, Thailand. I've been to Thailand a couple of times, but the first time I went, I remember all over Bangkok there was this film being advertised, and I ended up buying it on an illegal VCD, which I can no longer play. Um, but it was also came out as one of the Tartanasia Extreme labels. Um, I'm going to see if you can guess what it is. Um, it stars um, the star of the eye, Angelica Lee, as well as Hong Kong Canadian Hong Kong actress Karina Lam, 
uh, kind of runs the story based on that you know that urban myth of getting waking up on in some Mexico or somewhere in the bath of ice cubes and a pain in your back because someone's nicked your kidney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So basically, the film's called Coma. Coma with a K. Okay. Um, so it was released. Well, I know it was released in Tartanasia. It strings. I'm holding it, and it cost me one pound fifty from CEX, which I refuse to call sex. Um, so yeah, I'd like to look at that sort of a Hong Kong thrillery, sort of a horrory thing, but um, more thrillery than horrory. Um, don't know. If, have you seen Coma? I haven't. I no. Tell a lie. I watched the first five minutes, but I was. Um... At the time it was on film four, I was uh, in the early days of courting my wife, so I didn't see past that. So because um, you know you don't want to just say say to your partner, it's all like, oh, I'm just going to step and watch weird Japanese movies. You go entertain yourself. No, no, <laughs> so, I think I think I think you did the right thing, but I think it's time to go full circle, therefore, and um, and finally watch Coma. It's it's a it's a weird it's a it's kind of a film from my early days of. Well, it's it's it's. Around, I mean, although the DVD is dated two thousand and five, I'm sure it's. That's just when it was released over here. And it's certainly it's one of the 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 issues. One of the films that they put out, which I think a lot of people for, forgot they put out. Uh, another one would be Freezer, and uh, uh, Cello. So Freezer is another one I've got, but I've got the the original Japanese DVD of that. I haven't got Cello. Cello, and the Wig was another one, wasn't it? That they did. Yeah, I think at the time. Yeah, it's in that kind of second. We, we talked about it before. There's a sort of the, there's a sort of a division two of Tartan Asia extreme films. <laughs> it seems it seems to because it's got white. Um, it seems to only fit with uh, Itchy the Killer is the only thing it would look good on the shelf next to. It just doesn't. All the other Tartan Asia extreme films have got black spines, haven't they? Um, but that and Itchy the Killer have got white spines. So yeah. Um, I've seen it a few times. Um, um, spoilers, it's it's just a rando Hong Kong thriller horror from the days of the Asian extreme boom. But I thought it'd be quite nice to have a look at it. Get us ready for the big countdown of uh, of Halloween. Indeed. Like, a, like um, an amuse-bouche. So thank you as always for listening. And uh, we'll obviously be looking at Coma on our next episode. But until then, thank you as always to my co Stephen. Pleasure as always. And thank you to you, our wonderful listeners, and we'll be back next time to talk about Coma. Until then, good night.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.